And three, two, one. What are you doing? Testies in my mouth. Get on the ground, you fucking pledge. Ew. Welcome to the greatest podcast experience of your life. This is the Frat Chat Podcast. All young men like three things. Featuring Carlos Garcia and Chris And what's up everybody? Welcome back to the Frat Shop Podcast. It's been a while. What's up, Mr. Mom? Yo, what's up, dude? Now, how has everything been, my friend? I feel like it's been months and years. I forgot what you looked like. So what's new? Not much, man. Uh, the best up episode got a ton of great feedback. Uh, and hold on, my mom would be calling me. Hello, uh, right, Mister. Estoy en el medio de grabar mi show. Uh-huh. Y like, <laughs> say, say goodbye. Say hello. Okay. Hello. Chao. Te quiero. Okay. Bye. And that was Aww. my mom. A Spanish cameo by my confused mom. What the fuck? And that's what she'll understand never to call You me. hung up before she could invite me over for Christmas. That's true. But Next we time. We don't allow white people around, huh? Yeah, we don't see the <laughs> We don't want to take that risk. She'd be you like, know? hi. She'd open the door and be like, hi, are you delivering pizzas? <laughs> no. If, if, you guys know, if you guys know our address, you know where to send ice. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, and actually, my dad, in about a week will be going in for his citizenship. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I became a citizen. Naturalization, not neutralization, yes, which I learned yes. a few weeks ago. Those are two different things. Correct. Check out the Frat Chat archives for more. Uh, yeah. That's and really aside exciting. from that, Thanksgiving was good. The best of episode was a ton of fun. My dad liked it. Oh, can we give a shout out to our sponsors? You sure can. Shout out to the Moonlight Clothing. Don't fear the dream. Live the moon life. Their Black Friday deal was stellar. I know. I actually bought myself a shirt. Yeah. I'm going to be rocking it at the greatest comedy show of all time on December 20th at 7 p.m. at Broadway Comedy Show. I'll be there. And so, yeah. Yes, you will. My good friend Simo is hosting. It's her last one of the year. And I'll be wearing my brand new Moon Life clothing shirt. Oh, and I got some new stage vest. Oh, really? I have to show you. I am fucking pumped. Always the vest. Dude, I'm I'll be wearing my, my Moon Life clothing gear as well. Thank yep. you, Moon Life clothing. Follow them everywhere at The Moon Life clothing and f- check out their uh, website at themoonlife.com. And also our good friend Gazzo. Thank you so much for the theme song. I search Gazzo music on YouTube and listen to when I work out sometimes. It's good stuff. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good, man. It was good. You went home, right? I went home, had some good turkey tam. We actually went to my brother's house this year. Uh... And drank a lot of rum, ate a lot of food. It's good. Is stuff. that a Venezuelan thing to drink rum? We love it. We make good rum. See, I would have thought you all drank tequila. That's Mexicans. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know you guys even celebrate Thanksgiving. To be honest. <laughs> well, we technically don't. It's an American holiday, but since it's off, it's a good time to spend with the family. You, you know? know. So we I like the idea have- of it. They should have Thanksgiving multiple times a year, I feel like. It's true. It's true. I think families need an opportunity just kind of to regroup. And celebrate the slaughtering of millions and millions of Native Americans. Yeah. (laughs) 
my ancestors were bullied in their graves. Yep. Just kidding. We didn't bury them. We burned them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Jeez, my mom would be really upset if she knew I just said that. Uh, um, at my Thanksgiving, it was, it was our first Thanksgiving without my grandma, and normally she would call the shots. She would keep us on schedule. So this year, uh, I was putting up Christmas lights with my dad, and he was like, did you put the turkey in? And I was like, I don't know. I turned the oven on, and uh, we put the turkey in a little bit too late, and then we thought, well, maybe it'll cook faster if we turn it, the temperature up. And the outside looked done, but the inside was not. So then we, um, I don't know if you saw the video of, of my mom and dad throwing it away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that sucks. No one really man. ate it. This is what it is. And there's no more embarrassing feeling as a cook to be proud of your Thanksgiving turkey. And yeah. then slice into it. And that shit, rah! No one really trusts you after that, you know? I know. I know. You know, um, I think turkey is so dry typically, so my family, I don't know if it's a thing, but we always have ham too. See, I prefer ham. That's the problem with y'all's white people's turkeys. This is, I don't know, man. It's, it, I, whenever I go to Friendsgivings, it never tastes good like anything. It doesn't taste bad. It just, the turkey is usually flavorless. Yeah. My dad really, like, taught me the secret of this sauce that it cooks in, and then it's, like, super, like, tasty and moist after. What's the main ingredient in the sauce? Oh, man, there's too many of them. Um, you take uh, a bunch of onions, you take olive oil, a bunch of garlic, lime, uh, v- vinegar, uh, red wine, or if you don't have red wine, you can use white wine. Uh... I think I said lime already. Mm-hmm. Bunch of salt and rum. No rum. Okay. And and, and some water to kind of dilute it a little bit, and a bunch of onion. You, is that what you call? Is it rind or brine? Wow. Is that a term when you cook stuff? Maybe. Anyways, you always try to roll up, dump it on the turkey, and then cook it in that, and then like you take that sauce after too, and then you can put it on the turkey, and it's delicious. And then my mom makes a sweet sauce too, so if you mix them, oh, it's that's like, good. Bah. But anyways, before we continue the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program, and more than 60% of users that engaged with the program kept the weights off for a year or more. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe. B-L-E-A-V. Um, one, so the day before Thanksgiving in Chicago and where, where 
Um, I grew up in Maryland. It's mm-hmm. always like a drunk day. Like everyone goes out and gets shit faced the day before Thanksgiving. Right. So I remember in Chicago one time, a really good friend of mine named Mary, he just got engaged. Congratulations, Mary. I'm yeah. very excited for you. Uh, I hope your wedding is open bar. Uh, so. Um, even if it wasn't, I'll still come because I love you. So bring a um, flask. <laughs> um, I always have a flask in my back pocket. You act like you don't know me. So um, uh, one year, we went out, got shit faced at the bar. We did karaoke. It was a tradition. And we go back to her house. And I don't know the process, but I think that there's like a cooler with the turkey in it. And it was like soaking in something. It was like maybe salt water. I don't know. It's, I thought it, the term was called brine. Right. It was a, a styrofoam cooler that I think we had in the fridge. And I went to take it out, and the, it was so heavy that the styrofoam handles broke off of it, and I oh. dropped the turkey on the floor. And then we were both falling over each other trying to, to pick, it up. pick it up. And then I think we washed it off in the sink with soap. Right, and then, and then we were both we picky swore we're like we'll never tell anyone about this. And then as we're watching people eat the turkey at dinner, we're like, um, are they enjoying it? If they seem to like it. Maybe I'll. Why is there a hairless? Mm, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> no, but to be fair, if you if you cleaned it off when you cook it, anything that's still there will get burnt off. So yes, be cool as long as you seasoned it. Especially hair and fingernails. Yeah, yeah, it gets it's burnt cool. off. It's cool. It's all good. That's that. But extra, that was a fun memory. Extra zest in there. I remember some of it because I was shit faced, but it was mostly a fun memory. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to share that I got a little bit of feedback from. Our hazing episode. Oh, yeah? And um, uh, Lexi from New York messaged me and she said there is a condition which causes hostages to develop a psychological alliance with their captors during captivity. These alliances resolve from a bond formed between captor and captives during intimate time together, but they're generally considered irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims. And this condition is called Stockholm Syndrome. Oh. Look at that. Wow. Look at that. She read us a pill. Yeah, but, I mean, technically speaking, I'd rather have Stockholm Syndrome than, like, be traumatized. Be like, yeah, he's a cool guy. It's not so bad. I can live through this. Then, like, ah! You know? Like, you mean, like, post-traumatic stress? Yeah, I don't want, I don't want some I think they're both bad. Yeah, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to have some Stockholm. I guess, maybe, if you had to pick. And if I, and if I have a hot captor... Going with definitely back home. Well, the hot captor would be a fraternity brother. So Man. take your pick. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. We've we we seen our lineup. Nah, no, nah, none of them. I can't, but I can never trust anybody to be able to snuggle me like I can snuggle me. Oh. <laughs> I'm a fantastic snuggler. Look at that's, that. That's why my girlfriend keeps coming back. And I'm gentle. Yet warm. Maybe your girlfriend's experienced a little condition I just learned called Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, probably. That's Maybe you should let her out of the house. I actually feed her twice a day, you know? <laughs> Keep her codependent. <laughs> you let her out in the backyard, but not without her shot collar because you're not crazy. <laughs> I let her call her mom once a day, but I listen in. Bitch, we script. If you, if I was, if I was kidnapped and you're like read the script, I'd be like, well, psh, might as well just kill me now. Simo <laughs> <laughs> would be like, wait, I, my character would never say this. Okay, <laughs> this is bullshit. I demand a rewrite. Okay. 
Um, so like, what's my motivation? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going to murder you. Oh, okay. Okay, okay I'm ready. Okay, okay. great. great. That sounds great. Action! Are, are we catering um, lunch today? <laughs> Okay, great, great. Thank you so much. Uh, so what are we talking about today? So we're coming down to, this is the final episode of season one, my friend. And we've told all of our story. We've told the beginning. We've told how we decided to join this fraternity. We told how we went through the fraternity. We explained the, the pledge process, the hazing, the fun, the drinking, the not so fun. And the gay. The super gay. <laughs> it was a watch along. We did. We did it all. Yeah. But now we got to come to the end. Life after college. How did we graduate? What brought us to New York? What did we do? Were we satisfied with our life choices when we got out of college? Were we ready to face the world? People want to know our story. Who wants to know? I mean, like four followers. <laughs> 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 I have three accounts on Instagram, okay? And they all want to know. <laughs> Everyone always messages me and they're like, we want more hazing stories. I'm like, there's, there's more to life than... Um, okay, I mean... And here's the thing, season two, we we're coming at you with more. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. So, you know, I feel like it's just the perfect way to cap off the way of now you guys will get to know us for exactly who we are, what we came from and where we're going. And then from then on, we can expand to other cool, sweet topics that we'll get to at the end of the show. That sounds good. So let's get to it, shall we? Okay, so when did you graduate college? What year? Uh, well, I was supposed to graduate 2010, and I graduated 2011. Uh, I you held back in first grade? <laughs> I just couldn't reach... Stop eating the paste! God <laughs> damn it! I just snorted it, like... <laughs> yeah... <laughs> It's just good. Yeah, it feels good. No, I, I, for me, I did not know what I wanted to do, so it took me a while to settle on political science. And basically, my, I could have banged it all out. That's what she said. On, like one semester extra, but I would have had to take in like seven classes, and I was like, hey, you know what? Like I'll just do the whole year, and then broke it down into four and three. Um, so ultimately, what was your major? Political science. Which I did like. I love arguing, yeah. and it's a lot of cool history about, you know, government and the formation of it, uh, cities, different cool things like that. So, so you graduated in 2011 with a degree in, in political, political science, science. And, um, but then you, and... I got to, actually, one cool thing about doing political science is you get to argue a bunch of shit, mm-hmm. and I had to do, basically, uh, like a dissertation of my thesis, where I explain what it is. And, you know, you get graded on that. But the thing about it is there was a grad student that was also doing a topic opposing what I was saying in my thesis. So my professor in the class, was, which is basically a thesis writing class, all you do is prepare your thesis throughout the semester. Uh, I did that. Yeah, so think of it as a script writing class, but, you know, like for, for your college thesis. Mm-hmm. And so the lady is like, yeah, you know, and since you guys are opposing views, it'd be cool if you guys have a little debate after, huh? And I was like, ah, shit, I have to debate this stuff. And the girl, though, that I was debating with, uh, she was very, like, mean about it. And she, like, basically looked at me. It was like, I'm going to mop the floor with you. And I nailed her. Figuratively speaking. Yes, not a, 
<laughs> Not literally. <laughs> I wiped everything off the table. I was like, get on it. <laughs> no, and my professor gave it to me. And figuratively <laughs> speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came out and my college advisor, you know, you're supposed to have one just freshman year and then they switch you once you pick your major. Yeah. Since I don't know what I wanted to do. They, they called it at our school, FYE, first year experience. Right. I'm like, no, that's the CD store. They went down the business actually. <laughs> so my guy really liked me. And so he stuck with me sophomore year. Then he got promoted to the head anymore. So he didn't meet with students anymore, but he liked me. And so he was, I was like, you know what? If I could still see you in my last two years, that'd be great. And I, I did. And I happened to come out after the Figuratively speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and then he high-fived me. Yeah. Literally speaking. Literally and, and speaking. It was, and it was awesome. It was like one of these great ways to cap off like my college education side. So if you don't know what you want to do, political science is a fun one. Here's the thing. Afterwards, like... I mean, you don't really know what you do with that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like do you go to law school? I did see, intern I, for the government, so it was cool. See, I had this whole time thought that you went to school for PR. Uh, I started taking some PR classes my last couple of years. Wait, did you I know started, somebody? I started leaning towards that, too, and I was interested. But I, by then, I wasn't going to change majors again because then I would have fucking had to start over, essentially. But I was good at it. Um, I went, and once I realized kind of what I was gearing forward to doing, which was moving to New York and, you know, working out here. Um, always wanted to be in the entertainment side of things, you know, and I didn't think that I could be an actor. I didn't think it was attainable. So but I you looked did for a think career. you could be a professional wrestler. Well, I hope to be. That would have been awesome. But I, that's that another thing that goal. maybe I would have done, you know, but I, I didn't think that was ever attainable. It's too late now. I'm not going to fucking train for that shit now. But... Um, anyways, I, I came out here and it was, I started thinking, okay, what can I do that kind of puts me out in that scene? And PR was one of the things that I really liked. And so I started doing it and I got a master's degree in that. So I had to go back to school and then get a master's. And while doing that is that I decided to move out here. And also there's a two-part reason. I spoke in an earlier episode about an ex-girlfriend where I had a awful cheating situation and then she broke up with me and then you know I was really like butthurt at a time and butthurt oof tell me about borderline it borderline like depressed yeah see I was butthurt after every Friday night but I was borderline like depressed you know and I was I just wasn't happy in the environment I was in anymore um, I stayed for uh, about a year and I think for example that whole cheating thing was also because I was not doing much. I was working, but I was still like trying to live the fraternity life even though I had graduated, you know what I mean? And I only stayed there for a year before moving out here, but it felt like I was there too long, you know what I mean? And there's other people that stayed for much longer and came out to, to fraternity stuff for much longer. Yeah, it's like, weird. Especially the older guys before me that would stick around and it's like, oh man, now I don't know how that works. It's like, oh. Um, but yeah, I was I was just but white people don't age as well. That's true. I could I could stay. I could stay a little bit longer and still like <laughs> it's still been cool. They stayed under the radar, you know. But the the me my my biggest indicator I needed to get out though was honestly one day I was at work and I was doing marketing for these car dealerships and I had my own like pretty decent sized space in an office. But I looked out the window and my view was a two lane road 
And across from it was a 7-Eleven like gas station. And that's where I would go out and like sometimes get like cans of soup when I was feeling lazy and just want to get a quick lunch, you know what I mean? So I could leave earlier because I wouldn't take a full hour at lunch. And it was like, man, this can't be life. Like, this sucks. <laughs> I need to, I need to get the Your fuck out of here. schedule or the soup? <laughs> no, well, Both. Ch- Chunky Noodle Soup was surprisingly good for a very affordable deal. Sponsor us, Chunky Noodle. We're here for you. <laughs> but no, it was just like, the place was kind of depressing. The my view was depressing. I was depressed that I didn't have the the girl anymore. You know, it was like, and and that was my fault. So that always gives you an extra kick in the ass, or it's something that you could have prevented. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was just all these things that were keeping me unhappy. Where I was like, I I need a change of scene. I need to do something, and I need to take a chance. You know, and that felt like the move for me. And little did I know, I mean, and then eventually led to me deciding to pursue entertainment and things like that. Actually being like, wait, now I'm in the Mecca for this. You know, this and and L.A. really are good places for a guy in this business to be. And thanks to the last PR company that I was in, they actually paid for my first months of acting class because they had a program where if you took some kind of classes to improve yourself and anything that could help you in PR, they would cover you up to a certain amount of money. And since I already had a master's degree, they approved me taking acting classes because I did a lot of public speaking, a lot of presentations. So that's how I meet my acting coach. So you know what? Everything happens for a reason. It's like if I don't work in that company, my boss at the time doesn't put me in touch with his friend who then refers me to this acting coach who I'm still taking classes with today the studio with Brad Calcaterra the guy's amazing and and the wheels don't get in motion for me doing this in the first place you know it's all these things where like one thing led to another and then, and then, to and then ultimately you're on the casting couch and yep next thing I know I'm giving, giving hand jobs behind the camera because I'm Slopping not slopping knobs for rolls I'm not good looking enough to be in front of it oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a long story short of it I will say one thing that I do want to touch on was um, before I graduated, I remember I went to pick up my graduation robes and that's when it like hits, you know, you're, you're leaving school, it's all over. And while I'm picking up mine, this guy who actually pledged at the same time as me and the fraternity, but dropped. It's, it's like a short, awkward conversation. He's like, hey Carlos, how's it going, man? It's going well, you know, what's up? Getting your robe. You were like, you're alive? <laughs> yeah, I had not seen this kid <laughs> since pledging. So it was like our lives just took two different paths. And I remember him asking me, you know, just he looked at me for a second and he asked me, like, was it worth it? You know, like, was it, you know, I stayed, I didn't stay, you did. Like, was it worth it? And I just like thought about it for a second and it was, it was just like, hell yeah, it was so worth it. It was so awesome. I had such a great college career and I was so happy with the fraternity that leaving was so sad to me. Um, We had like the goodbye meeting where everybody passed a gavel around and talked about me and, you know, my contributions to the chapter and all these things. And I had worked hard for the fraternity. So I remember just feeling, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. But did you? And I cried like a bitch. <laughs> it was really emotional. So it put me, it, that's why I kind of got thrown through a loop. Like here I was in this world where I'm looked upon almost as royalty. 
And it's, it all happens so fast, too, that then all of a sudden it's over. And it's like, okay, now you're in the real world and you ain't shit. Like, now what? Yeah, you know? it's a little misleading for sure. And then, you know, you like, then you're just a kid who doesn't know what the fuck he wants to do with his life. And so that sets the wheel in motion to all these other things. But, you know, I felt like me personally, when I got out of college, I was a very confused guy. I didn't know necessarily where my footing was in the world. And I just wanted to figure it out, you know, and I wanted to, I realized that I couldn't be a fraternity guy for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? But behind the, the letters, who was I still, you know? But you are a fraternity guy for the rest of your life because you That's are true. the co-creator of Frat Chat Podcast. Yeah, brother. And everything happens for a reason. If we don't you know, do the fraternity, this never happens. I think a feeling of like, of like being lost in the world post-college is very universal. Yeah. I think everyone can relate to that. I almost joined the Marines. No way. Because I was, after college, I was like, the fuck am I going to do? And then I was drunk at homecoming the the next uh, um, fall. And I outdid everyone else in the pull-up competition. You know how they have like the Mm pull-up bar at at our university? Right. And they were like, you thought about, you know, a life in service? And I was like, no. (laughs) Who did I talk to? (laughs) And I remember talking to my mom about it and being like, I've applied to a million jobs. I don't know what to do with my life. I have a degree in theater. The fuck was I thinking that maybe I should join the Marines? And then I I didn't, thankfully. (laughs) Freshman year, I actually, so I, I was offered... A diversity scholarship when I went to a college for being foreign and having good grades. Even if you look white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. It's great. But when your name is Carlos Guillermo García Contreras Machado Narete Quintero Daneta, it opens, eh, it opens the back door. I was going to say it opens <laughs> doors, but... <laughs> it, opens, it opens the back door. <laughs> it opens the back door and they, they shush you in. It's okay. Just <laughs> stand in the corner. Don't, don't speak. Um... But once I started college, for some reason, I still never got the clear message why, they, uh, they decided to give it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, this money that I was promised was no longer there. Uh, and so I had to kind of like <gasps> figure shitty. out, didn't know what to do. And so one of the things that I did do was talk to a Marine recruiter. You know, at the time, like, especially like then, I was more of in a meathead stage. I could bench, like, close to 300 pounds. Sometimes, my, my, the most I ever did was 315 once. It's just like, for me, it was like, yeah, you know, like, I felt like a man. I but, feel like the man today at the gym, I didn't do anything close to that. <laughs> what I don't do it now. now. Now I go for reps, man. I feel like, especially too, like, I'm shorter than you, so I feel like I go for more, like, trying to trim up and lean down. And you mean, well, Tall guys tend to go for its size, you know, so it's different, different goal. I'm trying. Yeah, but you, you look good. You look good. Well, thank you. Um, anyways, I'm talking to the to the recruiter, and I was like, you know, at the time I wasn't a citizen. Uh, I had a visa that basically just let me go to school and occasionally work. Um, and I was like, well, well what, what can you offer me? Can you give me some, some college money? And it's like, well, currently there's not a lot of budget for it this was like in the middle of the iraq war keep in mind (laughs) so i was gonna get sent to the fucking front line and they couldn't even offer me tuition until after the fact and then i wasn't even guaranteed like help becoming a citizen they're like you know we'll put in a good word for you but nothing's guaranteed it's like really so i can go get sent to the fucking front lines to go take bullets but when i come back i'm not even guaranteed to be a goddamn citizen that's shitty i was like 
<laughs> and so then I never, that's why I never did it. Thank you, George Bush. Yeah, right. George W. Bush. But the Marines, I always thought they were so cool and badass. That, you know, I have a friend who, well, I have several friends who did the Marines. And they're just the coolest, coolest fucking people I ever met. But arguments can be made that um, the Marine life could be comparable to fraternity life. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot then. there's a lot of it too. Yeah. I and mean, you come out a badass too though. But the fact is like I felt like I at least was owed a little more than that, you know? Like <laughs> Yeah. Like now I'm a citizen and I think it would be different, but I'm you know, now I'm in my thirties, not gonna join the Marines now. Um but yeah, Marines just were not for not for me, not for you. That's that's interesting that you did it too. I almost I was like, this this will solve everything. I'm and so, so happy. My mom was like, absolutely not. And at that point, were you modeling? So I did my first fashion show my senior year of college. Senior. I think we discussed it, right? It's yeah, for Walmart. It was for Walmart. I wore uh, I wore pleated khakis with an elastic waist, and um, I I think I auditioned to the song. It's my prerogative. Which was an the, old wait, song the, at the time. The, wait, you did the original Bobby Brown one or the remake with Britney? The original Bobby Brown one. Okay, okay, okay. But when I say that, people are like, wait, 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 how old are you? No, it was an old song at the time. It's my prerogative. That one? Mm-hmm. Pretty good, right? Yeah, it sounds the yeah. same. <laughs> it sounds like Bobby I'm himself about to, I feel is like here. Jumping up and doing a little walk here <laughs> in, in some pleated khaki pants. Bobby Brown kicked down the door. He's like, "What's up, guys?" Did a bunch of drugs and <laughs> started uh, singing, and that's what you hear. When when I when I graduated college, I remember I had that similar meeting where we passed the gavel and say nice things. But I'm I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty like. Um, emotionally deficient. Yeah. I don't really have feelings yeah. most of the time. And so I wasn't sad about leaving the fraternity. Uh. I don't think they were sad to see me go because normally when, when you graduate, like you're still kind of like around a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a goodbye forever. Um, but I, I, to me, it was just another day. And um, I remember um, after I graduated, I was working retail for uh, a little while like during the day in the evenings I was teaching acting classes and the weekends I was doing shows Mm -hmm. so uh, I was working around the clock because the end all goal was to get the fuck out of that town so you knew exactly what you wanted to do at that point though which is good you know I I, I thought about Chicago because um, a lot of teachers were like um, you should really consider moving to Chicago and pursuing comedy. Mm-hmm. We really think you should just 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 try. Because mm-hmm. uh, I was interested in improv and I would do stand-up at like the, the theater department showcases and things. Right. Um, oh, by the way, I didn't walk on stage for graduation. Oh, really? I was like, fuck that. And your parents didn't flip out? They were like, we don't want to go do it either. This is a win-win. Yeah. Wow. So boring. How long was it? It was like four hours, wasn't it? Hours, I have to say, was incredibly short. They, the department? My Well, my department was huge. Political science is massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they kept it to like about an hour. Really? They, they Actually, an hour 15 or so. The speaker, the main speaker, really spoke for like 20 minutes or so. He was fantastic. But they were very good about keeping everything moving. 
because I mean it was hot outside, but the AC was blasting in the venue. Yeah. So I have to say, I love my graduation. My parents would have wow. died if they didn't see me walk. You know, I um I remember people were like, "Did you pick up your gown?" I thought to myself, "Yeah, you're gonna see me put on a dress and so you can make fun of me." Yeah, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, so so when when I moved to uh, um uh oh, let me backtrack. I I think was best suited for Chicago and comedy because um, I didn't really love the idea of theater. Um, auditioning, audition, auditioning, and uh, getting like a small stipend and trying to live off that. I was like, right. I don't know if that's even plausible. I can understand you come for money and then um, you have a nice chunk of change to fall back on and you mm-hmm. can pursue the arts. But if you don't have a lot of money, that's really gutsy. And I, I definitely hats off to um, anyone that has the, the guts and balls to do that because that's hard. Um, I think that, you know, in the fraternity, we were kind of put on the pedestal if you, if you were active and you held a lot of positions and things. Because right. you mentioned earlier that you felt like royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily feel like that, but I can tell you that people in the theater department who always got the leads, they left college expecting that. Right. So they felt like royalty. And I never got the leads. I worked hard in college, but also had a lot of problems. Right. And I was kind of a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think because of that, as a liability. So I didn't get the leads. They were not going to give me a chance because, um, yeah, I was a mess. So uh, that made me hungry. A lot of people moved to Chicago from my from our. College. <laughs> and that's hard for him to be hungry because he has an eating disorder. Yeah, I That's the But I have to do it. Oh god. Okay. Here yeah. You go. Um. <laughs> My, my my abs looked amazing though. Yeah. My heart was struggling, but my abs looked amazing. So um, it, when I moved to Chicago, I remember I, I think that I was a little bit more successful than some of the other ones that moved mm-hmm. because I was auditioning. I was hungry. I wanted to do it, and I just wanted to try. Right. And uh, um, I uh, was surprised with how um, easy, how much easier it was for me than the other ones that. We're expecting all the roles in. I was happy to get whatever I got. That's but um, but um, uh, after doing that for a little bit, I just it just reaffirmed the fact that you know I don't know if I, I have what it takes to do this because I'm not I'm so much rehearsals and so little money like this and, and some people will perform for free. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So um, which uh, makes it tough though to find you know just stable paying work too because the thing is. If you complain to a movie, that low-budget film that you're not getting paid, you're not going to do it until they pay you, they'll just find someone to do it for free. I know. Which is crazy. You know, it's crazy for that they, they technically can do that, but that's why it's non-union. So. I remember doing theater, and then in between shows, I was doing stand-up um, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And then after a show, they'd be like, hey, like we split... The ticket sales, like, here's your cut. It's 50 bucks. And I remember being like, $50? Yeah, that was yeah. on stage for 10 minutes, $50? It's amazing. So I think that that was that thing contributing factor as to why I stuck with comedy. But, but I did improv for a long time and had a lot of fun. Friends of mine from, from uh, our college, we started our own theater company. And mm-hmm. so for about like eight years, we were doing a lot of our own shows, which is nice because I didn't have to be part of every show. Right. Um, sometimes it was behind the scenes. Sometimes I was on stage. Sometimes I'm writing our own stuff. So it me an opportunity to do some stuff and flex a different work. muscle you know which is cool yeah so that, that, that experience was completely um, invaluable you know because 
uh, you, you learn a lot about what it is that you like to do. And ultimately, I realized I don't want to do nothing with theater no more. I just want to do comedy. I just want to do stand up. I want to be in charge of my own schedule. And I want to be held accountable for if something doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. If people aren't laughing, that's my fault. Right. You know, when you're an improv and the scene goes sour, um, you could be doing your absolute best, but you might be sitting, sitting across from a dud. That's true. You know? Someone who doesn't say yes and. Um, correct. Right. Even if you do say yes and, this just the vibe, the chemistry could be off. That's true. You know, um, bad sex uh, is better than no sex, people say. Yeah. Bad improv is it better than no, no improv? Yeah, no. no improv. Bad improv is hell. <laughs> bad improv is really bad, and it's it's just really hard to watch when you know when when it's a bad improv. Team. Oh yeah. But it's very easy to love when when they are killing it, and you know there's some really funny people out there. Uh, but God. So if I could go back and do it all over again, um, I would pick one thing and really focus on it because I think that in my mind back in the day I thought. I'm so well-rounded. I am like um, uh, working with this theater company. I'm, I'm wearing lots of hats. I'm, I'm doing improv. I'm doing stand-up. I'm getting booked for these modeling gigs. I do it all. But I don't think I ever really became an expert at any one of those. Well, I will say, though, that you picked a good time to experiment with different kinds of comedy, though, and different things because then you figure out what you definitely didn't want to do as opposed to... Being like, well, I could always do that. And then, you know, once you realize what you're good at, then you can focus 100% on it. So, and also though, if you notice what your act is, you do take several things from each of those worlds and mix it together to create your current act. Correct. So if you hadn't done that, then you wouldn't do this. True. So and, you know, every life experience you gives you material. Correct. Right. But it is it's just interesting because I, I see like, you know, I'm in Brooklyn a lot. I hear these Brooklyn comedians. They're like, oh my God, I've been doing stand comedy like forever for like three years. And I haven't been booked on it. I think to myself, uh, I've been doing it since 2006. Right. <sighs> 13 years. Right. So I should have more to say for myself had I really, you know, stuck with it. That's true. Um, but I can tell you that when I was in Chicago, I kind of felt like I performed everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, of course, there's, there's some shows I probably didn't do. Right. But I feel, I, I just felt like I was stagnant. So mm-hmm. coming to New York was a rude awakening because in Chicago, I didn't really have to like send tapes or audition right. for stuff. I just got phone calls. Hey, you free this night? You free this night? Like, so I, I would be leaving this space to go to that place and I would be booked uh, a few times a night. But then in New York, I'm like, shit, I thought I was a big deal, but I didn't matter. And in New York, everything is just changing so fast too that it's, it really is hard to feel like you're getting ahead, even though you might be, you know what I mean? Like when I take time to think back of like, Everything I've done since I've started, I definitely see an upswing, and it's like, oh, sweet, gotta keep rocking. But on a day to day basis, you're only as good as your next gig, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I'm just sitting there, it's like, shit, three days have gone by, I haven't heard from anybody. It's there like, are <laughs> three things I don't like about New York. One is uh, regarding this industry, one is there's no 
I mean, there's some, but there's a lack of camaraderie compared to what I'm used to in Chicago. Because mm-hmm. in Chicago, I could do a set when I was a younger comedian. The older ones would be like, like, hey, Simo, come over here. I want to talk to you. Right. Um, if you switch this joke with this joke and sequence a little bit differently, I think you would end with a, a, a better um, punchline. Or if you develop this idea that you have some good stuff there, let's meet up and we'll work it out together and we'll write. I, we don't have that here. Mm-hmm. you know. I will say, though, that... Here, I think people might get offended if someone comes up to them and does that. I feel like people take their craft not too seriously, but some do. And I feel well, like being new in New York, I feel like it's hard for me to find my tribe. I still think I'm looking That's for true. my tribe, you know. And, and and sometimes people don't want to. Um, well, I feel like we've been creating our tribe. If you think of it, like when we started out, you know, for for one thing, I was alone, and then you came along. So it was like us two, but now we have like the Rons of the world, you know, we're starting to kind of build our little Correct. crew, like the Veronicas, you know, the Bronwyns, and it's like little by little, it's like, okay, we, we got a little, we got a little crew happening. We do, but I do think that it's harder to make friends in comedy than it has been oh, for sure. um, everywhere else I've lived, whether it was sure. like Baltimore, D.C. Uh, or uh, Chicago or here. Um, in addition, do you think I, it's more people are trying there's just simply more people for less spots and so it's much more cutthroat or what do you think it is is it just the new york culture that's people are just like grind 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 i think that's what it is yeah um it's definitely more fast-paced here that's true and i and i also think that so that was one second thing is um there's so many more bringers type shows in new york and i think that ultimately Talent is sacrificed because people aren't getting booked based off of merit or based off of talent, but they're getting booked based off how many people they can um, fill the seats. You know, and it, it becomes this round business where basically it's like these people that do the bringers. Then okay, once they know they have a packed house, they smuggle in their their other comedian friends. You know what I mean to do the show. So you have this card like we both done shows where it's like oh a four hour fucking show. And it's you awful. are the second to last person because you brought the most people, so they don't want your friends to leave. Correct. So then, rather than you benefiting, you get punished for actually bringing yeah. those people. Fuck you, Dangerfields. <laughs> it's, it's, Yikes. It's, it is a lot of, it's a load of horseshit, man. Yo, Dangerfields, upgrade, renovate your fucking space. Yeah, it is old. Dude, it, it smells old. like stale beer every time you walk up in it's, there. It's pretty old. It's all the, it's poorly unattended too, man. That sucks. Um, yeah, I don't think that shows should be that long. I, it's, it's really unfortunate. And sometimes you go to a place and, and you don't know there's all these um, you know, pseudo-celebrity comedians popping in. And right. there's a two-drink minimum. But sometimes there's also a two-drink maximum where right. you only see the, the waiter a couple times. Right, man. So then if you're going to sit through over and it gets two hot. hours. Yeah, if, over, if it's two, over two hours of comedy and you're only given two drinks... Yikes. Once I did one where I, of course, went like second to last. And uh, when the host came up, he was like, how's everybody doing? And this little old Asian lady who was sitting in the back row just started screaming, show too long, show too long. Uh-huh. <laughs> he goes, we only have about four or five more comedians. She's like, four or five comedians? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm still like, I still have to go. But I'm like, yeah, this is much too long. I'm like, cut this shit, man. Yeah. And they do it to maximize their profits. But here's the True. thing. Then they take comedians and they put you through this system and they almost chew you up and spit you out, but they take you for all it's worth. And at the same time, they also, I feel like, alienate the comedians in a certain way, but also 
it makes them lose their friends because then you, when your friends come to these things and they're paying 20, 25 bucks to see you. And I then know. they're doing at least two drinks. They're usually doing more because it's a four hour goddamn show. And yeah, food. 10 bucks for a Corona. And then and you're it, spending 115 bucks to see me do five minutes of comedy. The yeah. next time I invite them to your show, they're not going to want to come. And why would they? You know, it's too expensive. It's really unfortunate because the people who yummy that don't know any better, I'm like, oh, Right, and I fell through it. At the same time, you can do bringers and use them for your advantage. Uh, just know when to do them and when to get out. You know, like I, I don't do them now, but it's the kind of thing where at least before when I was having trouble getting booked, if I could do a bringer at a club I've never done before, a picture says a thousand words, people would know it was a bringer. You know, so I started doing that in my early... <laughs> you know, whenever I come across a new comedian, they're like, just, we're just shooting this shit before a show where I open mic and they might have questions and I say, watch out for these people. Mm-hmm. And I had to write down, if any of these people reach out to you, the expectation is that, you know, it's going to be a bringer and this yeah. is what you got to do. Yeah, I got screwed with plenty of them before where I thought I was actually getting booked and then as it gets closer, they're like, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. They sneak it in and then you come into these shows expecting at least a great show. And it's like these dingy, shitty shit shows where it's like, what the hell? This and is the most unprofessional shit I've ever seen. Bring their family and friends from like out of town and, and they like make a trip out of it and they only see them for like four minutes. Four, and, like, and it's so sad. Yeah, man. It really is. The third thing that I, that I don't like, and it's not necessarily specific to New York, but because I live here now and I've been here for the past, you know, a few years. Uh, I just think that social media can be so misleading. So sometimes you'll see people who have a very large presence on social media. And then when you see them on stage, you expect greatness. But their talent doesn't match up to their um, social media skills. Well, people buy them, too. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw, for example, I won't name names, but there's this comedian who had something like 18,000 Instagram followers, which is fucking outrageously high. Uh But then I would look at his posts and he would have like 23 likes. Mm-hmm. 18 likes and it's like oh okay that makes sense you know you can buy followers and stuff like that you can't buy engagement uh, and it's you know you're looking for people to like your stuff and comment on it and sure you can, I'm sure you can pay someone to do it but you can't do it to match it up so you can tell that this guy had just went and used one of those people where you pay him like 400 bucks and they get you a bunch of like bot followers so then your account looks like you have a million followers but then when you're looking at the content it's like this content shit you know what yeah. I mean and it's crazy. It's true. People are misleading. Some people get booked on a lot of stuff because they have a huge following and because they have a lot of friends. But I think to myself, is anyone ever going to tell this person that they really need to work on their material? Nah. Is anyone going to tell them that, that their talent is lacking? <laughs> and um, although they might feel popular in this, you know, uh, this area, uh, that they, they really... Um, are going to be a laughing stock if they ever step out of right this market you know that's true man but so uh, open mics who laughs at you your friends mm-hmm. they but everyone, no one else is paying attention no one else that's is listening because they're in their own heads so when your friends are laughing ha 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 great but then when you get booked on a good show and your friends aren't there because they're booked on other shows and you're actually doing your legit material for the first time in front of strangers and you get right. no laughing you know that, that's that that's sad to me right what are you going to do no, that's definitely true. I mean, the thing is, so it's like, it's it's tough for me to judge people's materials, especially because, like, I mean, I look at my stuff from a year and a half ago, for example, and I hate it. You know, it's like as you progress, you know, you start, like, leaving your, your old stuff behind 
and even just the way you say things, because I have certain bits that I that I've been using since I started, and I probably will keep using in the very long term future because I love it. And there's stuff that you can elaborate on, like but when you I, talk about your asshole. I love talking about my asshole. Yeah. It makes white people shiver, man, and it's great. Especially white people, y'all are weird about assholes. But Not all white people. Some of my friends, they probably their mouth will water. I was gonna say, it's like about people. White people love eating ass, but then they don't like talking about it. What the fuck? That's how you get worms. I don't like fuck? eating ass. For the record, is that Thank is you. that why white people don't season the Thanksgiving meal? They don't not taste buds anymore. Just eating no, ass. They'd rather just <laughs> eat it on the way out. <laughs> they look at food and they're like, "I'll see you like, later." It comes out better. It mixes in with lunch. Yeah, you know, you know? it's like why not? It's perfect. Okay, so as as far as the fraternity is concerned, I know I dog the fraternity a lot, and I dog fraternity life a lot because I I just find an issue with some things. But I will say that one thing that I can take away as a positive is that you know when you're in a fraternity, you're thrown in a situation where you just have to get along with people, you just have mm-hmm. to like make it work. And so right. I think that I I've, I've grown to be a lot more diplomatic. You no, know, college teaches you that too, but the fraternity, especially when when you're put in these you know, socials, these social situations, or you're organizing homecoming stuff, you really have to, it's it's a business, you really have to find a way to get along with everyone and to Mm -hmm. work together. And I do think that my networking is stellar. I can talk to anyone about anything and I can um, work it to my advantage. And I think that I learned that from being in the fraternity. Totally. And I will say also, you know, as life happens, a bunch of, Guys that I was friends with from the chapter ended up moving out here too. And so there is a big network of fraternity brothers that live out here and I've managed to stay in touch with. So the fraternity, remember, we're not even on campus anymore, you know, and, and it's still a, a big part of my life in that way. And but I mean, Hoboken feels like our college campus, be honest, I, isn't it? A little bit. Somewhat, yeah, kind of. It's yeah. got that old school, and and our college had a, like a very old school look to it, you know what I mean? The brick and mortar type thing. But I don't know. I, I I like that about Hoboken. It reminds me of like living in the in like the '30s or something, and skipping around town. You know, I don't know. It's like weird. Um, and and it's I love how close it is to New York City. I, I don't know. I love everything about this area. But I would like Brooklyn. There wasn't so much damn shit everywhere. People don't pick up after their dogs. Just literally poop uh, everywhere. Here, here people are better. I have seen the occasional. Dog shits, but Hoboken's very clean. And I like when it rains because I feel like it like cleans the streets. Everyone's <laughs> like, "Oh my god, it's raining!" I'm like, "Thank God, New York is fucking dirty." Yeah, that's pretty gross. I remember once I was on the phone with my mom after work, and I was talking to her, and this was like maybe I'm like two weeks into one of my PR jobs, and you know I'm very in love with the city, and it's like, ah, New York City, mom, I'm in the city of dreams. Look how beautiful it is. As I say this, this giant rat jumped out of a trash bag in front of my foot oh. into another one. See, <laughs> what happened? A giant rat just jumped out of this damn bag. And it's I'm like, becoming desensitized. Like now, like when I'm at the waiting for the train, I'll look over the edge and I just like I just like watch the the rats play. More, and in the, like, in the thing, I can do that, but uh, I went to shoot for uh, this film and I was on the fucking train at four in the morning. And the rat was not on the track. It was on the platform. Yikes. And this rat, I don't know what it crawled out of, but it was like covered in like shit and it's like fur looked all gross. 
and it was calling my bluff. It, it kept looking at me and nearing closer and closer to me. Oh my god! Almost like it was looking to be friends or for me to pet it. And I'm freaking the fuck out. And there's no one else there. And I'm just like squirming. I'm thinking if this thing gets any closer, I'm gonna jump and scream on this bench, and I don't know what's gonna happen. Luckily, the train showed up, and then it ran away at the last second. But it was like. I I just felt like the Jaws theme was playing. You know, my heart's like beating faster, and this fucking rat is just getting closer. Like, Why closer. do rats have such big nuts? Oh, it's like know. it's like disproportional to like other animals. It's because they have little hands, so they can't jerk off. Is that what it is? I don't know. No, and also I realized the, uh, the other day, I was like, why is it that anytime I'm buying alcohol at a, at a store, it's always next to the um, pet food? Do they think animal people are sad? Yeah. They always, I feel like it's, yeah. you ever notice that? Is Whenever it next to the cat buy, food? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, God like, oh, wow. Gotta feed kibbles and me. It's like that in Chicago too. The Because the, in Chicago, you can buy alcohol at any grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so it always be like one side would be alcohol and liquor galore, you know, and the other side would be, um, you know, kibbles and bits. I'm like, what are they trying to say here? I mean, I think that they're saying it. I don't need to say it. You know what they're trying to say. Yeah, Chris is amazing. <laughs> so, so what do we have to look forward to next season? Man, next season, we're going to expand, y'all. The Frat Chat podcast is going to do some chatting about other topics. Now you guys get to know us. So, yeah, so you guys get to, to see the beginning, and now you know our story. You know, you know how we Carlos think. went to school for... Um, Poli Sci, but does not want to run for president no. um, because he doesn't have orange skin, nor is no. he a racist. <laughs> and uh, I went to school for theater, but I was like, this is a lot of work and not that much money. Uh, and then we wound up doing comedy and working day jobs. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty much our journey. But next season, we got that out of the way. So Yeah, now we're going we're gonna to talk about other stuff. And should we reveal the first topic that we want to chat about or just leave them waiting it's up to um, you. I think that we can discuss some of the topics that, that I okay. mean I mean the first one I think we should just leave them at check out our good roast of Brock Turner that's when we're going to open up season 2 it's going to be fun we're also going to be bringing up some of our awesome comedian friends into the mix we're going to start to play a little more I don't think that the viewers believe us when we say we have a lot of fun celebrity guests that we'll be bringing on the show well I don't know if there's necessary celebrities but um, uh, some of them are look at their social media (laughs) 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 they have 200 Instagram followers Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, really amazing uh, comedians that have awesome credits. Yeah. Uh, and they aren't and just Instagram worthy. They are worthy. And some that want to roast the shit out of us. And we love a good roast. So it's going to be really fun. And I would like to think, you know, I, 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 I used to think to myself, well, maybe I can get a, a comedian to do me a favor, do me a solid. Um, but they actually want to be part of this stuff. Right. Two new. Yeah. Uh, in addition, um, we're going to be tackling some interesting topics, a lot of uh, interesting interviews, a lot of fun roasts of some notorious fraternity members, and a lot of fun. So it won't just be us two anymore. We're going to open up. Uh, we'll be us two. Well, yeah, it'll be us two, but in addition to. And then to we'll have some other. You know, don't worry. There's no third host that we have to rip on then. And then we have to figure out where we have a minority and a gay guy. Where do we go from here? I think we're both minorities, stupid. We're not really. There's so many white people. 
No, gay people are minorities. Are you guys still minorities? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even think Spanish people, we should not be a minority soon. There's so many of us. I think you have to look at like... It's offensive right. that we're still minorities. You have, to, you have to look at like the rights. I think LGBTQ That's true. is a minority. It's definitely a minority. Right. Let me tell you, I'm not going to be happy until um, I, they can uh, change the rules regarding uh, transgender people in the military. I mean, well, I'm not going to be happy until there's a monument right next to the Washington Monument that's the same size, but instead of like a cone thing, it's like a giant pink dildo and it's just waving okay, around with the words. And I think, I think we can and put then, it there. And then I'm committed to He has to unveil it. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many pink dildos. And give a thumbs up and say, I like gay people now. Yeah. And that's when I would be happy. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe the monument part, but not him staying in. Yeah. Because you know that'll for sure never happen. Uh, no, but we also have some fraternity brothers. I, I honestly, I thought that people were going to run away from this, but it's turned out a lot of them love it. And now that we haven't gotten canceled or arrested, I think that they're more open to being on the show. Yeah, but we're definitely not getting canceled on SNL, so we can we can uh, we can take yourself. that posted off your mirror, <laughs> off your vision board. And uh, um, I also just want to throw out there that um, Carlos and I have a lot of projects coming up, and one of which is something that um, we have a couple production companies interested in um, regarding a script that we wrote. So who knows? It's There's a lot of fun cool. opportunities. And also, now we can kind of talk about it. Uh, check me out on the background of season three, episode one of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm all over that shit. If you can find me and take a screenshot. I saw. And send Good it job. to the Frat Chat Podcast, we will feature you. And I will personally send you an internet high five and love you forever. Uh, it's, it was cool, man. It was long shoots. It was a long, like, 14, 15-hour day. Just yeah. Just with 3 a.m. call times. Rock has a dawn. And, you know, we would, we would 3 a.m. call times to then get to where we were filming and make up wardrobe and everything to start filming around 9.45. So then you had a whole shooting day and, you know, till, like, till daylight ran out, which would be, you know, 5, 6 o'clock sometimes. Then take another bus back to New York. Uh, and then I wouldn't get home till, like, 8 o'clock eat dinner, shower, go back to sleep, start all over again the next day. Yeah. But what a cool learning experience. And especially being on a set that big, it was badass. And seeing just like, I mean, I believe their first episode budget was like $20 million alone, which is insane. Like the amount of, like the equipment they had, the production value, everything was just top notch and incredible. So, I mean, talk about Sugar Palladino, one of the hardest working people in Hollywood. And when I say Hollywood, I mean Brooklyn. BK! So, it was awesome. And it was cool to see yourself and like a bigger platform and at least set a goal of, okay, okay, next time you guys see me on something like that, I'm going to be speaking. And I'm going to have at least a, hey, hello guys, in there. I'll have something. So, it's setting goals and keep moving forward, people. Yeah. And I like it. So with that, should we should we hop on? Should we say goodbye? Uh, I think we should say thanks for tuning in, and we might be sending you guys an extra little something special before the new year. Yes, um, follow us on all of our channels: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Frat Chat Podcast. Keep an eye because we will 
maybe, as Simo alluded to, have a little bonus content for you. You never know what we're doing. And honestly, sometimes we get bored. And we're very giving people. Yeah. Well, sometimes Simo is a giver if you give him a couple shots of tequila. And, you know, no, not too many shots. I can't give with too many shots. <laughs> Just no shots of tequila. <laughs> then he's a giver. Fantastic giver. I'm too drunk. I can't get it up. And yeah, thank you guys so much for following us. The show has grown exponentially since the beginning. And, you know, when we started doing this, we didn't know if we were going to last one episode or 10. You know, we're now crossing over 20. We have plans for season two. It's only going to get better from here. So thank you guys so much for the love, for the all the positive and negative feedback. Just thank you for caring. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with more. I'm not going to thank you for the negative feedback, but I will say <laughs> thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next season. Uh, so, motion to adjourn. And I second. So let's get out of here. Let's, let's the ball. Ah.